Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So good to be here. I have the privilege of serving as an overseer here at Radiant. And uh, as David mentioned, uh, we've been friends and known one another for 19 years. And over the course of those years, not only have we become great friends, but we also now are uh, leading churches. And uh, I just want to say to you that um, uh, you know, he's one of my closest friends, but also serving as an overseer. I know a lot about what's happening in and around the church. And so first of all, it is an absolute joy to be here in the flesh. Uh, and I feel like I kind of come right into something that I feel like I've known about, but now I get to be here in, the, in, in, in person and, and just worship with you and see and just jump right into what God's doing. But I also want to say, having known David and Renata and his family for uh, just under 20 years, um, that he is an amazing pastor. And if you're especially here uh, thinking about, is this our church home? Um, can I just add to that or help that conversation? Hopefully come to a close and say, you have found an amazing church because uh, you have found some amazing pastors and leaders. He is uh, a man of integrity, a great pastor, a great leader, one of the best communicators on the planet. And uh, I'm really excited about what has happened here at Radiant in just the last few years. If you don't know it already, it is really phenomenal and, and very unique what God is doing here uh, to be three years old, three gatherings. And, and I'm excited not just about what's happened in the last three years, but what's going to be happening in the next 30 years as a result of all of the ways that so many people have come to establish this beautiful, life-giving Jesus-centered church in Kansas City. And so can you give yourself a big, huge hand clap for all that you're doing? Yeah, way to go, way to go. Way to go, cheering you on, praying for you, believing for what God has in and through all of you. Not too long ago, somebody asked me a question that's been kind of rolling around in my heart that I thought was, was so interesting. And that was, if you could be famous for something, what would you want to be famous for? Now, that's an interesting question, I think, even in our day and age, because uh, there was a study done in 2012 of 10 to 12-year-olds asking, what's your greatest goal or desire in life? And the number one goal was to be famous solely for the sake of being famous. In other words, it wasn't for something. They just wanted to be famous. But, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be famous, it's most likely going to be for something, for having found a cure to something, for having made a, a difference in a particular industry or whatever. And you might say, well, I don't really care about that question because I don't really want to be famous. I don't ever want to be on a platform. I don't, like, I don't care if my name is in lights. I don't, I, you know, I'm kind of an introvert. I like to just be behind the scenes. But the, the reality is, is that every one of us, whether, whether you want a lot of people to know your name or not, we're all going to be famous. And what I mean by that is that all of us are going to be known and all of us are going to be remembered for something. And that might be by a few people, or that might be by millions of people, regardless of how many people know you or know of you, at the end of the day, we will all be famous for something. And as followers of Jesus, I believe 
that we should be famous for being people who are givers, that we give our lives, that we give of our talent and our resources and our time and our energy and our, all of our hearts, that we are givers and that we are doing that as, as a result of and a response to the fact that God gave his life to us. That we would not say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm a follower of Jesus, so therefore I have to give because I have to be known as a giver. I've never thought of, and my hope for all of us is not that we would somehow think I have to give, but that I, and not just that I want to give, but I get to give. I am so lucky to have this opportunity to be able to say, I am a giver. And so I want us to think a little bit about how we establish that type of legacy, how it is that we might be known for that if we were to deposit and cultivate that in our lives now. And so I want us to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 22. First and 2 Chronicles are two books that summarize the history of Israel. And, and so what I want us to do is jump into uh, chapter 22, which is talking about the life of David. And so David uh, is towards the end of his life, and he says this, starting in verse 7. David said to Solomon, his son, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest for all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever." So David, at the end of his life, having established Jerusalem as the capital city of the Israelite people, having built a palace, having established and, and fought for this land, and having uh, conquered the nations around him, is at the end of his life, wants to build God, his temple, move from portable to permanent. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> and so he go. You're, you're just being biblical, everybody. I mean, you know, just portable. All right. So, so, so Solomon. So David's like, I want to get rid of the pipe and drape, and I want real walls. You know, like that's what he's that's what he's looking for. And so he says, I want to do it. And God says, No, no, no. You're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. And so David says, Wow, man. Thank God, I've got a membership at the Mount Olives Country Club because I am off to golf then and just hang out and ride off into the sunset. It's not what David says, actually. First Chronicles chapter 22. I thought it was funny. I don't know about you, but uh, anyway, it was really hilarious in here. So uh, verse 14, he says, I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord, a hundred thousand talents of gold, which talent is a measurement of weight, which would have been about 3,500 tons of gold. Not just like, oh, here's a little extra. A million talents of silver, 35,000 tons of silver, quantities of bronze and iron, too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. And you may add to them, you have many workers, stonecutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. Then David ordered all the leaders of Israel to help his son Solomon. If we're going to be famous for giving, being givers. 
I think we've got to think in some different ways. And so I wanna give us three ways that I think that David thought and ways that I think you and I can think. And the first one is that we would think generationally. See, David didn't just say, well, I've done what I was called to do on the earth. That's not something I'm called to do. So Solomon, hope it goes well. No, instead he says, well, I can't build it, but I can provide for it. And so Solomon could have launched from here, but instead Solomon starts here. Why? Because David was thinking generationally. He prepares beyond himself. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21, the apostle Paul writing to this young church in Ephesus says to them, now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We love that scripture. I love that. And we should be praying that and praying that for our lives, our families, our generation, our church, all those things according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In other words, yes, we want to see God do more, but we don't want to just see it in our generation. We actually want to see it in the generations to come. See, David thought generationally. Paul was encouraging this church in Ephesus to think generationally. Think beyond right where you are. Think beyond just the the phase or the season that you're in. And he is encouraging them and he would encourage us as well that if we're going to talk about being famous at the end of the day, our lives are to be leveraged not for the fame of our name, but for the fame of God. That our resources, time, energy, family, relationships, that all of it would be leveraged in order to lift up the name of Jesus in the church, in our cities, and not just in our generation, but the generations to come. And so I get a little concerned, if I'm honest, that we as Americans, and, and even then as American Christians, only think in terms of months and maybe years, but not in terms of millennia centuries. Like thinking about what are we doing now that might outlast this, my generation and the next generation and be still be standing generations from now. A couple of summers ago, my family and I went on a road trip and we went on a road trip. We were in Arizona and we went to a place called Antelope Canyon. Antelope Canyon is a slot canyon, which is a little different than what maybe we think of when we think of like the Grand Canyon or Bryce Canyon or other large canyons that you kind of stand on the top and you look down into. A slot canyon, which is going to come up here on the screen, this is Antelope Canyon. Antelope Canyon uh, is in the middle of a creek bed. And, uh, and, and at one point, this, this creek bed, if you go to the front, like the top of it, before, this, before you walk into the canyon, it's this really sandy creek bed. And at one point, the creek bed was all sandy, but there was this rock formation right in the middle of it that the water would run over. And what would happen when there was water running down this creek bed is it would take the sand from upstream and start running it over this rock formation. And over time, as the water and the sand started working its way across this rock formation, it started eroding and creating a little groove in the rock formation. And over time, that rock formation, the groove gets deeper and deeper and, and so on. And, and now it's to the point where you can walk through this slot canyon and look up a couple hundred feet. And depending on the time of day, the beams of light show into it. It's absolutely incredible. And as I, as I was in the middle of this slot canyon, I thought about the fact that, that I think a lot of this reminds me of the church. Because sometimes you feel like a grain of sand and you're like, what difference do I make? 
what, is, what does this matter? And one particular grain of sand did not form that slot canyon. But you know what created that slot canyon? Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of grains of sand over generations. Like over, not just 10 years, not just 50 years, but hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And then you have this beautiful, gorgeous, amazing, like mind-blowing slot canyon. Why? Because there was all of these grains of sand thinking generationally. I don't know what this is going to mean, but if we can all do this together, we can make something that's going to be going to last and is going to be beautiful. And I believe that's what the church is called to. I love that one of the points of passion in, for the offering is, is next generation. Thinking about the fact that, that we're not just giving to now, we're actually giving to the future. Sometimes we think, I want to just give to now. I can take care of me. I can take care of this. And we think oftentimes, whether it be in our own lives and in our own homes, in our own hearts, we're thinking about what can make me more comfortable. And, and that's not a bad lens to think through, uh, but it shouldn't be necessarily the only lens or maybe the first lens that we think through. Because if we apply that lens only to uh, the ways in which we might give to a house like Radiant Church, then we might think, well, I'm comfortable, so I guess I'm good. But sometimes we need to actually be uncomfortable and say, I'm going to give to this because I want someone else to be comfortable that maybe is going to come after me, which means that I'm going to have to take something I love and, and, and sacrifice it for something that I love more. And you know what I know that this church loves? I know what David Perkins loves. I know that I love is we love seeing people who don't know God come to know God. And so you might be like, oh, there's a little too many people in here. I don't know. I want my you know, space or whatever. You know what? Sacrifice the space in order to say, I love seeing people have a space and meet God and I'm willing to give up my extra little space. Oh, you know what? The the, the, this, the, the 1030 gathering's a bit full and David might say, hey, can you move to the, to the nine o'clock or to the noon? And you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Why would you be willing to do it? Because I'm willing to give up something I love for something I love more. Why? Because I'm thinking generationally. I'm thinking beyond myself. And so we're willing to invest. In 2016, the U.S. men's relay team was poised to win a, an Olympic gold medal. And this was specifically important because uh, in the previous two Olympics, they had not won when they were supposed to. Uh, one of those was because of a doping scandal. Uh, but here they were, 2016, and they were poised to win. It felt like a redemption year. And, and Usain Bolt was on the, one of the other teams, but and he was the fastest man in the world. But in regards to this team, even though they didn't have the fastest man in the world, the combination of the four runners was what made them poised to win the gold medal. And they left those Olympics without any medal. Not gold, not silver, not bronze. And the reason was not because they were fast. They were fast. But there was difficulty with passing off the baton. See, it doesn't matter how fast you run if you don't pass the baton well. And see, when we think generationally, we're not just thinking about how fast we run, we're thinking about how we're, well we're gonna pass the baton off to the next generation. So we've gotta think generationally but the other thing that David did is he thought generously. He didn't just think, well, I'll give him a little. 
You know, here, Solomon, I worked up some blueprints for you. Here you go. I hope it goes well. Cheers, man. I'll be on the golf course. No, no, no. It says that actually David took great pains to provide, and then it goes through a list, not just of resources, silver, gold, wood, iron, etc., but also provided stone cutters and, and stonemasons and all the craftsmen that would be necessary in order to build that. And then he actually then ordered his leaders to help Solomon. In other words, I am going to provide as much as I can, and not just a little, but extravagantly for the next generation. He says, I'm going to give as much as I can. Now, I have oftentimes thought, and maybe you're thinking this now too, well, I don't have all the extra that David had. But I've come to realize that generosity is not about how much we have as much as it is a posture of our hearts. See, when I was growing up, I grew up in a house where my dad owned his own business and sometimes business was awesome and other times business was really tight and he could feel the financial stress in the home and we could also see the financial stress in what wasn't in the refrigerator. The fridge was, was bare there wasn't much in there. You knew that it was a, a tight moment, waiting for, waiting for my dad to get a job, get a, get a, get a new contract. And, and so I think there was something about that particular experience that cultivated something inside of me that says, I've got to protect and prepare and hoard in order for those potential moments in my life. And so, so I was, and I would say you could put stingy on a description of me until I came across a passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 11, it says the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses, it, blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. And I thought, what? That doesn't make any sense. You would think that those who give have less because you have given something away so you don't have it anymore. So you have less. I mean, I did well enough in math, and two minus one equals one, which is less than two. So that doesn't make any sense. What I realized is I was operating off of a static pie dynamic and a static pie perspective, which is if I have a pie and I give you a slice, I have less pie. But God works off of a dynamic pie perspective, and that is when I give you a piece of pie, the pie grows. I don't know how it works, but it's pretty amazing. I think of the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And here's Jesus' disciples, and they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, um, Jesus, um, you're getting a little long-winded. Uh, so, and I don't know if you've noticed, but it's a long day, and we got... Thousands of people here at this point, uh, there, scholars would believe with women and children, about 15,000 people, and they have not eaten all day. And maybe the disciples are thinking, we're hungry, they're hungry, and, if, and I, we're about to get hangry. So this is, a, this is a, like, come on, we need some food, Jesus. Why don't you send them away? And he says, well, why don't you feed them? And they're like, oh, Jesus, you know that we don't have money or nearly enough money to feed all of these people. So uh, he says, well, go see what you can find. So they go out into the crowd to see what they can find. And I can only imagine what's going on in their heads and maybe the conversations that they're having as they're talking to this little boy and they come back to Jesus with five loaves and two fish. 
And I can only imagine that they're thinking, what in the world are we doing? This seems like a lose-lose. Because now the boy's not even going to eat. I mean, at least he was going to eat and one of all of these people was going to eat, but now no one's going to, I mean, what's he going to do? Break them into 15,000 little tiny pieces? I mean, that's basically doesn't mean anything. So now not only does the boy not eat, nobody really eats and this seems like a lose-lose. But Jesus didn't quite see it that way. He instead, of course, takes these, these five pieces of bread and two fish and ends up feeding all 15,000 people and having 12 basketfuls left over. And you think, that doesn't make any sense. Two minus one, in my book, equals one. But in God's, two minus one equals 15,000 plus. See, because what we see is what's right in our hands. And two minus one does equal one. But when we take it out of our hands and we put it in God's hands, it changes. See, I believe that God will stun us with his abundance when we trust him with our generosity. Believing that what we put in his hands is different than when it's in our hands. But taking it out of our hands feels like risk. I mean, I wonder if this little boy was like, oh, I was really hungry. I wonder if he's thinking, now what am I going to do? And not only was he fed, but everyone there was fed. We started Mill City Church, uh, it'll be eight years ago, in Feb this coming February. And Prior to that, we were raising money to be able to launch Mill City. And uh, a few months before we were ready to launch, um, I got a check in the mail from a pastor in Denver that I knew of, but I didn't, I didn't know, and we had never met one another. And I got a check in the mail for 2,500 bucks, out of the blue. And basically like, uh, we just wanna invest into what you're about to do. It was amazing, it was unexpected, it was such a blessing for us. And in many ways, because it was pretty early on in our church planting journey, it was a confirmation of God leading us and him providing for us. Come to find out, and I didn't know this at the time, but later on and just recently, I found out the, some of the backstory on that particular check. They were a church plant and they were a couple of years old and they had that week had their trailer, all their, their, their Sunday setup stuff stolen. So they were meeting in a hotel at the time, a hotel ballroom, and, and they didn't have anything, no speakers, no nothing. So here they are at their point of deepest need, like they need to save, insurance will cover some, but not everything. And, and they're young, they're like, man, are we even gonna make it? And he said, I had a sense from God that we were supposed to, in our deep, time of deepest need, give and be generous. And he said, I had a sense that we were supposed to just take up an offering and everything in that offering that week wasn't supposed to go to replace a, a, a speaker, but instead to invest in you, in your upcoming church. Just this last year, that church was given a $40 million building and piece of property in the middle of Denver. 2,500 bucks. We really need these 2,500 bucks. We're gonna trust 
and risk it and be generous. We're going to put it in God's hands and 2,500 bucks turns into 40 million. That's not, doesn't one plus one equals one or two. That, I didn't do so well in math. It's just, uh, <laughs> that's what happens when we're generous and we say, here it is, God. I just want to give it. I'm just going to respond. I'm just going to give it away. It's all yours. So David thought generationally. David thought generously. But there's one more way that I think that he thought that happened because Solomon was his son. See, we know that later, Solomon became the wisest man in the world. And as a result, there were people that came to glean from his wisdom. And it says in the scripture that he gave it away freely. And I wonder if he didn't give it away freely because his dad gave all that he could away to him freely. Because David was thinking formationally. Not just provisionally, like I want to provide some stuff for my son, but I actually want to see formation happening inside of his heart. See, we might be asking the questions, you know, um, can I afford this? And that's a good question. Because maybe if you can't, maybe the, question, the, the, the thing that you need to work on or think through is budgeting. How does this affect my retirement? Not a bad question. I think it's worthwhile to think about that for you and for your family. Or you might ask, be asking the question when in terms of giving and giving to the church and tithing, you know, what does the Old Testament say? And, you know, is it this percentage? And what is that, how does that apply to the New Testament? And is this real? And what is that about that passage of scripture? And does this apply to me? Is it 10% or is it 100%? Or is it 9% or what? Is 5% okay? Or how? Those are good questions. I would encourage you to research those things. There is wonderful ways for us to dig into the scriptures and find out what God has to say and the application for all of our lives. But all of those questions may be being good questions. At the end of the day, they're not the best first question. The best first question that we should be asking in relationship to money and finances and resources and all the different things that maybe we could give and be generous with and think generationally with is, how am I being formed? See, because as followers of Jesus, our number one desire and goal is to be formed into the likeness of Jesus. And so everything that we do and every choice that we make, everything that we, we say, every aspect, every habit, every discipline has a shaping effect. And so what in all of this shapes something in me or shapes something in those around me? My kids, my brother, my sister, my coworkers. How am I being formed? As I mentioned with my family, my dad owning his own business, there was times that, time that, 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 that finances and income was, was tight. But I always remember my parents giving to the church. Didn't matter whether the fridge was full or the fridge was empty. It was just something that they did. And it was something that I caught and something that I saw and something that, that was woven into the fabric of who I am. And it wasn't because, uh, Aaron, I, I need, you have to do this. But it was something that I saw, and I saw the way that my, my parents held on to or held loosely onto finances. And so I remember when I was eight years old, I, my, the, my mom had gone to the store. I went into the, to the refrigerator, and I, I pulled out some fruit and uh, created a sign that said fruit stand and created a, 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 a little price list. And each, each different, you know, a pear and an orange and an apple, I gave a price list to it. And I set a table up in the living room of our house. And I, and, I, and I thought, all right, this seems like a good place. And, and I sold all the fruit that I had 
back to my parents. And they bought it and put it back into the fridge and, and I took the proceeds from my little eight-year-old business and, and I remember counting it out and taking 10%, taking it to church that next week and kind of like looking at my parents, they dropped it in, I'm like, I can do that. You know, I didn't learn that because somehow they sat down with me and they're like, you know, you have to do it this way, you have to do this. No, I just, like, this is just a part of the formation of being a giver and holding loosely on to finances. And so I have four boys, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith, and Associates. It's a law firm. And, <laughs> and, and, and I, I care about how they think about money. I, I want them to know that money is not something that they serve, but something that they can use to serve others. I want them to know that, that they are connected to an unending source. Because if, if somehow they realize in our generosity, we're connected to an ending source, it doesn't mean that, oh, if I give money, my, I'm gonna get more money but that somehow the world, the heart, the perspective, the mind of the generous gets larger. I, I think of this passage in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, where one son goes and wastes his life in wild living, and he comes back home, and the dad is like, my son's home, let's throw a party, or give him a robe, a ring, sandals, everything, we're gonna kill the fattened calf, it's a party time, and the son who's been doing it all right, exactly right, I just gotta do it just right, he says, Dad, what's going on here? And he says, oh, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You're connected to an unending source. This is all yours. Now, see, at the end of the day, God doesn't really care about money. He doesn't really care about resources and all these things. What he ultimately, the reason that he talks about these things is because he cares about your heart. He cares about the formation of our heart. And Jesus says that we can't serve both God and money. See, money and resources and all the things that we're talking about here today are making a bid for your heart. They're asking for your allegiance. God's saying, ah, I want your heart. I want your allegiance. I want your affection. And you're like, okay, great. I'll give God my heart and I'll keep my money. Like that works out great. <laughs> Except it just doesn't quite work like that. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you have Apple stock that you bought a while ago, you were lucky. <laughs> and chances are that when something, ha you know, you get in your newsfeed, something about Apple comes up, you probably pay a little extra attention because you're like, oh, I wonder what they're doing. Oh, I wonder how that's going to affect my investment. We sponsor a couple of children around the world as a family, and one of them lives in Ethiopia. A Benzer is his name. And you know, when something happens in Ethiopia, we pay a little extra attention. Why? Because our treasure's there. We've, we've invested some treasure into this little boy. So our heart goes there. So you might be well, like, well, my heart is, my heart's in like video games. You know why? Because you invested there. So can I encourage you? Maybe you're like, I, I want my heart to be here. 
I want my heart to be in radiant. I want my heart to be in investing in Kansas City. I want my, my heart to be in investing in the world. Put your treasure there. Your heart will follow. And he might say, well, Aaron, this is a, this is a interesting talk or maybe, maybe this is, makes you nervous. I don't know. But at the end of the day, this isn't about, hopefully this isn't a talk that you hear just through the lens of, through Aaron or a series through Radiant, but that you see this as being modeled and communicated to us through Jesus. That we would look to Jesus and say, wow, look at Jesus. He thought generationally. So much so that when he came to the cross, he wasn't just thinking about the first century. He was thinking about every century to come. He was thinking about all of history and all of eternity. And when Jesus came, he said, I'm gonna give it all. All of my life, every aspect of who I am to the point of death. So why? So that we could be transformed. So there would be formation in our hearts and we could become like him. And so I don't know where you find yourself here today, but the question that I think all of us should be asking, regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, maybe, maybe this is your first time in church or your first time in a long time. Or maybe you've been walking with God for, for a long, long time that we would ask the question, what am I gonna do with what I just heard? See, the goal in a, in a gathering like this is not that just that you would take some good notes and like, oh, that was interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. And you just have some more, walk out with some more information. But instead that we would walk out asking the Holy Spirit, what step would you have for me to take? Now, some of you might be in this place where you're like, man, I have a mile, miles to go. But God is just asking you to take the next step. And maybe for you, your next step is, has to do with, I need a budget. We need to rework this. Uh, maybe your next step is a perspective that says, I'm, I'm going to embrace generosity and trust the reality that if, if I'm generous, my world will just get larger. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to experience what that is. For some of you, maybe you've been just thinking about yourself and your own generation and then thinking, I need to actually start thinking about investing into the next generation investing into something that I might not actually see. Or maybe you're here today and this talk of, of where you put your trust and about your heart and you find yourself maybe in a place where you've put your hope in finances or resources or the things that you can touch, the things that you can feel. And maybe what God is inviting you to today is to not just give of your resources, but to give your whole life, to give your life to God. And to say, God, I need you. I want to give my life to you. And the amazing thing is, is that we cannot fathom the fact that when we give God our life, but he gives then his life into us. It's an unfair exchange, honestly. It's an amazing investment. And God says, will you give you your life? So I don't know where you find yourself. And if that's you here this morning, Maybe you find yourself far from God and you say, I want to cross that line of faith today. Can I just invite you to say under your breath, God, I give you my life. God, I give you my life. It's not the only thing that we should say to God, but it's an amazing first step in our conversation with God. God, I give you my life. It's yours. And so Holy Spirit of God, I ask that you would help us to have ears to hear, ears to hear you clearly clearly the step that you're asking of us, the step that you're moving us towards. 
and that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would give us the courage to take that step. For some of us, it means loosening our grip. For some of us, it means taking a step of faith. For others of us, it's surrendering our life, our will, our ways to you. So Holy Spirit, have your way. We invite you. We ask you to lead us. This we pray in the powerful, life-transforming name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Uh, I want to just encourage you, for those of you that are about to give, you can just get that out in just a moment. But as we prepare to give, I would just want to tell you this story. Uh, so Aaron Stern just told the story in regard to a pastor that at his darkest, most humble moment where everything was stolen and he had nothing, said, we're going to just give. We're going to give and trust God and put it in God's hands instead of trying to make something happen. And he told you that story last month because that was Doug Lassett. And in his sermon on, humili on, on humility, he told you that story. And who he gave it to was Mill City Church. And then Aaron told you the story that they've just been given a $40 million property and Doug's worshiping and Aaron's worshiping. And it's just amazing the way that God is at work. And I just love that story because that's just happened to be the way that the Lord orchestrated for us to get that story as we got both parties telling us their version, their story. And I just think it's cool that God was just thought of it, decided to allow Doug to be here and tell us that. And then Aaron, they both spontaneously told you that story. And I just love it. I believe that we are in the middle of uh, something unique that God has for us. And I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I'm confident that God has uh, great miracles ahead for us as well. And so will you give Aaron Stern a big hand today? You did a great job. I love you. You're a dear brother.